Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the beauty of the snow uh, that we got to enjoy yesterday and even uh, seeing the traces of it today. And um, Lord, we just uh, pray you bless our morning as we study your word, as we uh, specifically learn about uh, your creation of mankind and human beings and just the dignity, the value that you've given us, um, not in and of ourselves, but Lord, given, given to us by you. Uh, God, we pray for our classes downstairs uh, with the kids, with youth. Uh, we pray for our service in a little while as well, as well as our ministries tonight. God, we just lift the whole day up to you. We pray for uh, you to work in each heart and life uh, that we get to minister to and that we'd be an encouragement to one another through them, uh, through the different uh, ministry opportunities. And so, God, we just lift the day to you. We pray you bless our time uh, in your word this morning. Give us wisdom and insight. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, Lord willing, we're going to finish chapter one today. So this is our, I think, ninth lesson. So at this rate, if we take nine lessons per chapter, we'll be done sometime in 2024. But no, I hope we'll pick up the pace. There's a lot here in chapter one um, that we want to take time to work through. So we've deliberately taken our time walking through it. And I know as we get to chapter two, three, and on and on, it'll the the narrative will pick up a little bit. So uh, we've talked so far in our study about all of creation. So we've seen the creation of the heavens and the earth, time, space, energy, light, day, night, the waters of the on the earth, the, the sky, outer space, dry land, grass, trees, plants, the sun, moon, stars, and then last week we talked about every animal, whether it be in the waters, in the sky, on dry land. So we've touched on all of creation except for uh, what we're going to look at today, which is really God's crowning creation. Uh, he saves the best for last, we could say, and that is mankind. So let's read uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, and then we'll walk through this together. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. <clears throat> then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so we get to the end of chapter 1. Again, God's crowning creation, mankind. And the first thing we have to unpack is there in verse 26, we see uh, God speaking in plurals, right? You saw it, let us make man in our image, and our likeness, after our likeness, okay? Um, So who is God speaking to in this verse? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's God speaking to? Yes. Okay. 
Absolutely. Um, I think we, we saw it even in um, verse 1, um, or sorry, early on. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form of void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we see the Spirit of God there. We've talked about the name God uh, for God as Elohim, which is plural. Here we see these plural pronouns. These are all glimpses of what the New Testament fully unpacks and the reality of the Trinity, okay? So now could you make a, um, if, if you only had this verse, could you prove the Trinity? Well, it would be very difficult. We know that this is in reference to the Trinity because of what the New Testament teaches. And, and really the rest of the Old Testament, we see glimpses and shadows of that. And then the New Testament reveals the, the reality, the substance of, of what's going on. Now, some have suggested that in this verse, God is speaking with angels, with a heavenly court. You know, you see that picture in Job where it's almost like this picture of this heavenly courtroom scene and God is interacting with angels and with Satan himself. Um, why would you, what, what might be your reasoning if someone said, hey, this isn't God talking to himself or talking within the Trinity. This is God talking with angels. Is there anything you could think of that would make you say that's incorrect? Okay, yeah, <clears throat> we're not made in the image of angels, right? So this would be very much not only just reading into the text, right? There's been no mention of angels or the creation of angels. We think from looking at the rest of the Old Testament, somewhere in here they were created maybe with the sun, the moon, and stars, um, but we don't see that explicitly laid out. It's not specifically mentioned. So you have to be reading into the text a lot, but to Ryan's point, the most obvious thing is, we're not made in the image of angels. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So clearly we're created in the image of God, not the image of angels. It didn't say he created man in the image of himself and angels or whatever. He were created in God's image. So clearly this is God speaking, taking counsel within himself about what's about to take place. Okay? And so we see God, after taking counsel, determines to make man in his image, and he does just that. In verse 27, we see God creates man in his image, and here again in verse 27, we see the, the word bara. Remind me again what bara means. It's the word created. Uh, same in verse 1. We talked about it with the creation of sea life and animal life. So this is that specific word bara. Courtney? Yes, this is specifically creating something from nothing, okay? Um, I think it's um, a saw is the word for making, using previously created materials to make. So this is the third time we're seeing God specifically making something out of nothing. Now we know physically, we're going to get to this in chapter 2, is there's more detail about the creation of man, that man was made from the dust of the earth. So that's already formed um, substance that God is molding. But here I think what we're seeing this unique creation, this creation from nothing, is that idea of the image of God, right? This has not been uh, put onto animals, onto plant life, onto anything else. The image of God is unique, and so God is creating man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So you see this three times, this word and this idea of how God made man in his image, showing the importance of this, right? You think about 
throughout Scripture. Anytime something's repeated three times, it means it's, you need to pay attention to it. So here we see this unique idea, God is creating man in the image of God. So what does it mean that man is made in the image of God? Okay, we use that phrase a lot, we're image bearers, we're creating the image of God. What does that mean? How would you explain that to maybe a new believer? That we're made in the image of God. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yep. We're distinct. We're unique, right? And we see that throughout the Genesis account. We're not, um, there's not millions of years that's transpiring and we're evolving from lesser beings and all that. Absolutely. So, and that, that's a lot of the ways we can, because we're not explicitly told here, um, other than maybe one thing, what that idea of the image of God means. But to your point, one of the best ways to do it is to compare ourselves with animals, okay? Their life, they have life that God's given, but they're not created in the image of God, okay? So what are some ways in which, let's unpack that a little more, that we're different from animals? Yep. Yep. Language, reasoning, intellect. Um, animals operate by instinct. We have emotion. We have volition or will, Okay. Some have talked about, you know, God existing as a trinity. We as humans exist as a trinity in a sense that we have body, soul, and spirit, or intellect, emotion, and will. So you could think about those ideas. Um, James Montgomery Boyce talks about three other concepts that man possesses which distinguishes him from animals. Um, Personality, morality, and spirituality. Okay, so think about that. Personality. Morality, spirituality. So our personality would include that ability to reason, to use language, to be creative, to, to you know, see the beauty in art and be able to create art, appreciate aesthetic beauty. Um, so that, that's that idea of personality, right? Um, think about morality. We are moral beings. Um, animals just operate by instincts. They don't really have a moral code, right? It's it's kill or be killed, basically, for animals, right? Survival. And so for us, so we have moral codes. Even those who don't believe in God have a basis for morality. They have a, they have a sense of morality, of right and wrong. So this shows the image of God in us, that we're moral beings. We, we can, to a degree, discern right from wrong and make moral decisions. And then we have a spiritual nature, which means that we're relational beings, right? We relate with one another as human beings, but as spiritual beings, we ultimately have the ability to have a relationship with God, right? And that's what we see in the original creation with Adam and Eve, this relational sense of Adam and Eve having a relationship with the God, which, as we're going to see, is severed by the fall. And so we're born in that state of our relationship being broken. But we're going to see, of course, through Christ, that relationship can be restored. So we're, we're relational beings. We can have a relationship with God. Therefore, we can worship him. We're beings capable of worship. And also, I think this idea of being in the image of God speaks to the value, the honor, the dignity that has been attributed to the life of humans, right? Humans have value, right? Where does that value come from? Is it in what we can offer? That's what a lot of the world thinks, is you're as valuable as you are productive to society. And what we see in the very beginning is, no, your value is given to you by your creator who's made you in his image. 
And so I love the words of Psalm 8, 3 through 8 when we think about this. I look at, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? If we were just to look at God's creation, think back to when we looked at the sun, moon, and stars and how massive they are, how enormous they are. If we're just looking at the externals of God's creation, we would say, what is man? We're nothing, right? We're just this puny, tiny little creature on this planet that's insignificant in the solar system. But we see, David continues in this idea, what what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Well, here's why. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, but crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So God has given us value. We are, uh, God is mindful of us, not because we're anything significant in and of ourselves, but because he has attributed value and worth to us as image bearers of him. Um, Out of all the incredible parts of God's creation, mankind, it's his crowning achievement, as he, made, as he created us with glory, honor, dignity, and value. And I love this quote from R. Kent Hughes. So reflect on this as he writes this. He says, So consider this. Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the plane of the Milky Way, though you could slow to examine the host of hot young stars luminous among the gas and dust, though you could observe close up the protostars poised to burst forth from their dusty cocoons, though you could witness a star's birth in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the birth and wonder of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation. But the greatest wonder of all is that the child is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, The child once was not. Now, as a created soul, he or she is eternal. He or she will exist forever. When the stars of the universe fade away, that soul shall live. Isn't that amazing just to think about that? Just the magnitude of God's creation, and yet the most significant thing is the birth of a person or the conception of a person. When that life is started, when that image of God is given. And so we see... This idea. One thing we didn't touch on uh, with this idea of the image of God, it's referenced there in Psalm 8 even, but we see it specifically here in this passage. So um, when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, what's the next phrase? Verse 26. Yeah, were you in here when we said that's the word bara? All three times, it's created from nothing. So this is the third time in Genesis 1 we see it. We see it in verse 1, the beginning God created out of nothing, heavens and earth. And then we see it again with specifically the... Uh, sea life and and life in the sky. It's actually not mentioned. It's a different word for the creation of, of uh, land animals. But 
Yeah, but I think the significance, we touched on this last week, when it talks about Barah, and he doesn't use it again for land animals, this might be the idea of, of the creation of, of a conscious life. This is the first, that's the first mention of life with the creation of sea life and life in the sky. So it could just be this is, the, this is God creating something new and it's conscious life. We didn't see it with the plants. And so then when land animals are created the next day, that's already in existence. It's just applied to land animals as well. Does that make sense? So now it's something unique again, the image of God. This has not been created up to this point. Okay? So, yeah, the, the, the question we left there, and I heard some of you guys talking about it, is after he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let him have dominion, right? And we see it over and over again through this, that um, part of that being an image bearer of God is having dominion over the rest of creation, specifically over the animals mentioned here. And so there's an essence where we are ruling, we're meant to rule uh, intentionally from the beginning over the rest of creation as God's image bearers, okay? We're operating in that domain, accountable to God, but operating in the image of God, okay? So let me ask this, um, and we'll get to some of this. Uh, It's hard to not look ahead a little bit, because when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see this fleshed out even more. Um, I guess that's pun intended, fleshed out, but um, I want to ask this question. Um, Is this image of God that God created from the beginning still intact in us as human beings, or was it completely removed by the fall? Again, we'll get to that in chapter 3 with the fall and all that, but is the, do we still possess the image of God today? Okay, I see all of you nodding your head. Absolutely. Um, we know that this image of God still exists in us today. It is corrupted, but it can be redeemed. Okay, so we know this specifically because if you, and you don't have to flip there, but Genesis 9, verse 6, right after the flood, God tells mankind, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So this is after the corruption of the flood, where God says, look, man is still in, in my image, therefore whoever kills mankind should experience death as well, right? Corporal punishment. Um, in the same context, we see, uh, and we're going to talk on this a little bit, God's an original diet for humans and for animals was what? Plants. But after the flood, God says... Have at it, pork, beef, whatever, um, and and a lot of us are probably thankful for that. But originally, that was not God's intention. But God says it's okay to eat animals after the the flood, and so there's not that same again standard with animals now. With and when we see this throughout God's law, does that mean we can just be cruel to animals? And you know, no, absolutely not. Right? Uh, there's still conscious life. Um, you know, if you're a hunter, you're killing an animal to eat it, right, to provide, to um, use it for something. If you're just going out and killing animals for no reason, God's law, of course, touches on that. But we see this difference between the value of human life and the value of animal life, right, from the very get-go. We're made in the image of God. And so, as I mentioned, this image is corrupted because of sin. But ultimately, as we see through the gospel, this image of, of God can be renewed and can be restored in us. Okay? And it's interesting, you know, we're creating the image of God after his likeness. And when we get to the gospel and we get to, you know, Philippians 2, what do we see? Because of Adam's sin, Jesus is made in the likeness of, 
us. So even as God's making humankind and he's thinking about what a human being is and what they look like physically, he knows full well that Jesus will one day enter that created body and will, of course, redeem the world through that, seek to restore that image of God to those who put their faith in Christ. So he took on the likeness of man, he did what Adam couldn't do, fully obeying God, and then paid the penalty for sin that God required, right? God says to Adam in chapter uh, 3, if you eat of this, you will surely die. That's the, the penalty for sin, and Jesus pays that, okay? So when we turn from our sin, trust Christ, the image of God becomes renewed in us. Is this an immediate renewal of the image of God in us, complete restoration? Is it progressive? Is it just ultimate? What do you think? There's a progression, absolutely. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, you don't see any mention of them eating animals um, prior to the flood. But yeah, you definitely see that the first animal killed is by who? By God, right? To provide, to show that, yeah, the penalty for sin is death and to clothe them, to clothe their nakedness and their shame, right? So, yeah, sacrifice would have been a part of that, but whether or not they ate it, I'm not sure. So that's a good good thing to think through. And maybe as we walk through, I, I don't, I'm not thinking of anything that speaks to that, but we'll walk through it and think, think of that as we're reading it. So good thought, <clears throat> if I can remember it. Um, yes is when we trust Christ, we all possess the image of God that's been corrupted. When we trust Christ, is that image of God completely restored in us at that moment? Is it immediate? Is it progressive? Or is it just ultimate? Does that make sense? Is it just immediately, bam, you're the image of God, everything's completely restored as it was from the, from the beginning in Adam? Is it something that progressively happens, or is it something that, well, you're not really going to have that image restored till eternity? Okay. Okay, so you would say immediate. Okay, and you said progressive. Anybody think it's just an ultimate reality? It's all three. Thank you. Very good. You picked up on it. It's all three. Absolutely. And, uh, and I love the way um, James Montgomery Voice shares this about what Don- Donald Gray Barnhouse, how he pictured this. And I think it's a really um, good illustration for how we've been corrupted by the fall, but also how we're restored through, through the gospel. Uh, he says, Donald Gray Barnhouse has pictured what happened as a three-story house. That was bombed in wartime. So picture a three-story house. The bombs destroyed the top floor entirely, the debris of which has fallen down into the second floor, severely damaging it, and the weight of the two ruined floors produced cracks in the wall of the first floor so that it was doomed to collapse eventually. Thus it was with Adam. His body was the dwelling of the soul, and his spirit was above that. So picture these three stories, body, spirit, soul. Okay, or bo- Sorry, body, soul, spirit. When he fell, the spirit was entirely destroyed. The soul was ruined and the body destined to final collapse. 
However, the glory of the gospel is seen at precisely this point. For when God saves a person, he saves the whole person, beginning with the spirit, continuing with the soul, and finishing with the body. The salvation of the spirit comes first, for God first establishes contact with the one who has rebelled against him. Okay, so there's an immediate see. This is regeneration, the new birth. So your spirit is restored, uh, renewed. This is new birth. Second, God works with the soul renewing it after the image of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus. This work is sanctification. So this is the progressive nature. And then finally, there is the resurrection, in which even the body is redeemed from destruction. So I I thought that was a cool way of picturing that, right? Uh, Of the immediate impact of when we trust Christ, our spirit is redeemed, it's restored. As Ryan said, in God's eyes, we are made holy, right? We're perfect in our standing before God. He sees Christ. Um, but there's a progressive nature. If we truly trust in Christ, there's progress. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ. And then there's that ultimate reality of our body uh, being glorified, being restored fully. And the New Testament speaks of this reality over and over again. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, okay, and have put on the new self. This is an immediate thing, past Tense, right? Past perfect, I think, is probably what the Greek is there. This is something you've done, you've put off, you've put on, and, but it continues, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay? So based on these realities of who, you're, who you are in Christ and you're standing in Him, you are going to continue to be renewed. And then it goes on in Colossians, you know, to put, put off these things, put off these uh, fleshly things, put on these spiritual things, Right? So there's the picture of the immediacy, but also the progression. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So progression. We're being renewed into the perfect image that God intended, which we see ultimately in Christ, who's the exact image of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just as we have borne the image of, of the man of dust, Adam, we've borne his image, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, right? So this is a future reality that we'll experience uh, in eternity. So we see the scope of redemption. Mankind was created in the image of God, yet rebelled, and then God sent Jesus to restore immediately, progressively, and ultimately the image of God in man. Okay, any questions? I know this is a lot to unpack with the image of God. I don't want to just rush through it, but this is where we get the value, we could say the sanctity of human life, okay, from conception to natural death, right? Um, Our value is not in what we provide to society or what people would deem our value is. Our value is set by our creator who has made us in his image, okay? Any other thoughts, questions? about the image of God. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. So the end of verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. him. Male and female, he created them. So we see specifically, when we talk about this word man, what are we talking about? Just males? Are only men created in the image of God? No, mankind is the word, right? It's, it's actually the, the Hebrew word Adam, which we know is the name given to the first man. It just means 
mankind. He's the representative for all of humankind. It's related to the Hebrew word Adama, which means earth. Adam's taken from the earth. And so we see that this idea of God created man in his own image is not just males, it's mankind, right? Why? Because they're created male and female, okay? Are created in God's image. So we see from the very get-go the equality uh, of men and women, right? There's an, an, an equality to both men and women. Men are not more valuable. Women are not more valuable. We're equally value, valued in God's sight as image bearers of God, right? We'll get into chapter 2. That doesn't mean there's not distinctions in how God has made male and female with different purposes, with different qualities to serve uh, one another and to ultimately serve him. But I want to just make the point here. We just see that, that equality of man and women, created in God's image. And so this is, uh, as we work through Genesis, even just chapter 1, there's so many foundational truths here. Um, and as we look at our world today, confusion that stems from not understanding the basic foundational truths of Genesis 1, and we see it in our culture today with not knowing the, the difference between male and female and how many genders are there and all these things, right? But we see very clearly, and Jesus reiterated this in the New Testament, that God created us male and female, right? From the beginning. Image bearers, equality, different functions as we'll see. But this is, this is how God originally created us, male and female, okay? Any questions about that, male and female? We, we see that with the animal kind as well when we get to chapter 2 and, and Adam names all the animals. <clears throat> All right, we'll kind of land the plane here. So it goes, uh, verse 28. Again, we see, we talked about with uh, the creation of, of specifically sea life and life in the sky that God gives the first blessing ever recorded in Scripture. And what was the blessing to that animal life that he gave back in verse, where was it? Um, 22, thank you, Corey. What was that blessing to the animal life. Being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, right? We see a similar blessing, that there's something different. God blessed them, and in verse 22, it said, and he said, so uh, verse 22, God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply. This is just, he's just saying it. But you see the difference in verse 28? God blessed them and God said to them, right? Not just saying it, he's speaking specifically to them, showing again their uniqueness as created beings, that they can receive information from God, they can receive revelation from God, they have a relational aspect. So God blesses them, says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, just as he originally intended over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, every, every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see this blessing from God to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion, and um, over the rest of created life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, we'll get to that, of course, when we get to chapter 2, because <clears throat> there's a lot of debate. People think, well, this is a completely different creation story. Yes, yeah. So what we're going to see is 
the beginning of chapter 2 is the conclusion of the seventh day. And then when it starts back with verse, what is it, 4, I think, is where chapter 2, where it says these are the generations. We'll talk about this too. These are indicators throughout Genesis when it says these are the generations, that this is the close of a section. So these are the generations of Abraham. These are, And we talked a little bit about this in the introduction, that Moses, we believe, is the writer, but he's probably more of a compiler of different records and things. So when you see these are the generations of, we're going to touch on how this is probably, here are all the, uh, here's all the chronology or the genealogies received from this person. Here's their, here's their account, and then he's going to move through. So th- th- that's why we know verse 4, that's an indicator of a, the end of a section. And then verse 5 is, I think, where we see a retelling of specifically day 6. So we'll get to that. But yeah, good question. All right, we touched on, um, and not a whole lot to go into here, but we see the, the verse 29 uh, and 30, God gives plant life, trees, fruit um, to creation to be their food source. Um, even today when we eat animals, their energy is coming from either other animals that they've eaten or from uh, plants. So ultimately everything goes back to plant life and God's creation of that to give us energy and uh, sustenance, right? So God's original diet uh, is vegetarian. I don't know if they would have drank cow's milk or eaten chicken eggs. Probably not, but um, so we could say vegan, you know, same idea, same concept, okay? Yes? Well, I think after God sacrifices an animal, maybe that becomes the standard. We don't see anything specifically mentioned about sacrifice, and we'll get to that with Abel. Was his sacrifice accepted because it was a blood sacrifice? Well, I think the text speaks to, it's really more of the heart posture, but it definitely could be if God had commanded animal sacrifices. So there definitely was, you know, this is all after the fall. So after the fall is when death comes in death of animals, whether for sacrifice or eventually for food. Yep. All right, and then the, cha- the chapter closes, verse 31. <clears throat> and God saw everything that he had made. So now we're including everything that God's created in these six days. And behold, it was very good. So how is this different from the other ends of days? We saw the same idea, evening, morning. The fifth day, sixth day, fourth day, whatever it is, but we see something different here in God's pronouncement. It's very good, right? Uh, literally, it is exceedingly good. It's complete, right? His creation up to this point was good, but I think the creation of mankind, the creation of all of it in its totality is exceedingly good. It's very good, okay? So he gives this more pronouncement. And so just think about this. Just six days prior There's nothing in existence apart from God. And now we have time, space, matter, uh, the universe, the earth, dry land, seas, stars, suns, um, you know, planets, all these things, life on earth, you know, plant life and animal life and human beings. So just in the course of six days, of course, God, did he need to take even six days to do this? Of course not, but I think he lays out an orderly account for us to understand, to comprehend, and also 
to lay out, as we're going to see, the standard of a week, right? We still have a seven-day week, one day usually for rest, um, based on this, right? And I've actually heard of cultures that tried to do like a 10-day week to change it up, to not be biblical, and it failed miserably, right? People were just worn out and tired. It didn't go well. So um, we see God giving this orderly account, but also laying the foundation for a week. And we're going to talk about next week, that Sabbath day, that day of rest uh, on day seven, okay? Any questions about anything in chapter one? Anything that you, we went over and you didn't get, you know, you've, you've thought about it and uh, didn't ask your question or you've thought about it since and, and have a question or have a comment you want to make? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this chapter is so foundational. And, and really, the I mean, the whole book of Genesis, but especially when we see chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 with the fall, even when we get on to chapter 11, Tower of Babel and all that. These, these chapters are so foundational and we talked about this in the very first week to our worldview. I mean, these are truths that if the world understood and believed, we wouldn't have the chaos and misunderstanding that we do today. So it's important as believers we rest on this foundation. And, and again, it's foundational to the gospel, right? We talked about the image of God and how ultimately Christ redeems that. So all these things are foundational to our worldview, but foundational to the gospel as well. So they're important to seek to understand and study and and share with others who, who are confused, who don't have that worldview, right? All right, anything else? Yes. <clears throat> okay, that's a good question. Um, and I don't know if I, I mean, we talked about how it could be in that reference to God creating uh, animal life. It's actually, that word is translated soul other places. So in some essence, animals have a soul, but it could be more reference to conscious life. Um, And then our spirit is that eternal part of us that lasts forever. So, I mean, as we thought about that illustration from uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, um, I think that was him. No, it was Art, no, yeah, it was Donald Barnhouse who had the three stories. Our body... Our soul, which may be just our moral being, I guess. And then our spirit, which is our eternal self, which is completely separated. I don't know if that's maybe the distinguishment, but yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, and I'd have to dive in a little deeper to... Because I had that thought. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, animals, you know, you can see animals seem to express some type of emotion, especially pets and things, whether that's just instinctual or maybe that's part of conscious life. You know, I don't, I don't know for sure, but definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to... That's a good way of distinguishing, I think, soul being your intellect, emotion, will, because that's corrupted by the fall, right? We 
now use our, our, our mind is warped, our, our will is twisted, our emotions are array, right? Um, and so when we trust Christ, that's what's being restored in us, right? Is our, now our intellect, we're trying to have a, a change of mind and a change of our will to align with Christ. So maybe that's a good way to think about it, the soul being that intellect, emotion, will, and then your spirit is that eternal yeah, connection with, with the Lord, that spiritual element that animals don't have. So that might be a good way to, to distinguish them, yeah. All right, we better wrap up. It's uh, about a quarter till almost. So let's pray. And if you think of any other questions, feel free to ask even when we're on to other chapters, okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for just the foundation uh, of life that you give us. That, as we talked about today, Lord, we have value. We have, we have worth. And, uh, Lord, I know for many of us, we find our value and we find our worth, our identity and what we can contribute, or who we are, how we can uh, relate to other people, whatever it may be. But God, I pray that we would see that our value, our worth, is not in anything that we can do, anything that we can provide or offer. Um, and God, we thank you that it's that, that way, because our value would change moment by moment. But God, we thank you that our value is set, it's determined by you, it's attributed to us by you. And God, I pray in our society that devalues life, that devalues the worth of human beings, that we would be ambassadors for truth and standing up for the value of life, the dignity of human life, the sanctity of human life. And um, God, help us to proclaim ultimately the gospel, that this image of us, uh, or this image of you in us, has been corrupted by the fall, but can be restored um, by, by Christ and through the gospel. So God, just help us to reflect upon these things and to proclaim them to a world who is, is lost, that is, um, does not stand on the foundation of your word, is in really utter chaos and confusion. Help us to be lights um, and, and witnesses to your word and to the truth and, and ultimately to the gospel. And uh, we pray again for our service in just a little bit that you bless everything that takes place, that we would worship you that you'd uh, stir our hearts and prepare our hearts for communion even. And uh, may you be glorified in our midst today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.